Uh, just before I start, um, in the course of our worship this morning, I had, I had a, a sense of somebody that I need to pray for, and I don't know who, just a person or there's more than one, but the image I got was of a, the idea I had was of a relationship that you've been working really, really hard at. I don't know if it's marriage, I don't know if it's friendship, I don't know if it's you know, parent-child, whatever it is, but a relationship that has, that has really developed some roughness to it. And the harder you, you push, the more difficult it is to make it work. You're trying as hard as you can, and it still just feels rough. And, and I'd like to pray for you, uh, but for courage just to relax, to not work so hard at it, to just let it fit and flow. Uh, it will, however, require you to lay down your sword. And I want to pray for courage for you to do that because it's risky. Um, is there anybody that I, does that make sense to anybody? All right, Lord, uh, just lean into this, and I don't know who all is involved in that. I don't know what the implications of that are for them, and whether it's marriage or friendships or co-workers, uh, uh, roommates, um, parent, child, I don't know what all that involves. But I just pray, O oh Lord, for courage to let you uh, do what only you can do, and, and to give them courage just to stop trying so hard to achieve an outcome that you can achieve uh, without them, uh, but you would rather do it with them. Give them courage, O oh Lord, to lay down the sword of their power, the sword of needing to be right, and give them capacity to let you work it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in the past couple of three weeks, we've been starting a new series in the book of Ephesians. It is the book in, which, in the New Testament in which Paul kind of largely frames out what it means to be church and what the implications of that are uh, for, for, the, for, the, uh, for the ways that we do, do business uh, in the world. And uh, it is a, a, a letter that, like Paul's letters, are divided roughly in half. The first half of the letter is largely dealing with um, theology and theological uh, foundations, and then the last half deals with the practical implications of that. So we're still in the first half, so we get to look at some of the theological uh, framing for issues that Paul is going to begin and come back up again. So you almost kind of read it in, in, in parallel. You read it in, and then you read it out, and, and it matches up. So uh, we're in, in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll get to the text in just a minute. But, but um, it, it, I, you have probably had this experience either on, on one side or the other of, of feeling, you, you kind of, maybe you go to a party or you go to a, a, a social gathering or, or, or community of some kind or another, and then you see somebody across the room and you just say to yourself, who let them in? Or maybe you're the one on the other side of the room and you walk into a room and you realize every eye is turned to you and then just turns away and looks at the other with a kind of a, a raised eyebrow. Maybe you saw it in The Help. Remember the movie a couple of, a couple of years ago? You just think, uh, okay, this is awkward. This is awkward. How, who let them in, right? And, and, or, or again, you've, you've, you've felt the one, you felt you know, like you're the them while everybody else is the us. Does that make sense? And, and, and Paul uh, wants to address that. But what we're dealing with here is, is the, the human way of self-definition by comparison. 
We learned it in junior high in North America, and it serves us well until we're well into our 80s. That is, I don't know who I am, but I know I'm not you. Because in these categories, you're not as good as me. You don't drive the right car, you don't live in the right house, you don't... I mean, we have all kinds of ways of bifurcating, of slicing and dicing our relationships so that we know who we are in relation to who other people are, so we know who the us is, people that are, you know, we can talk. And then we also know who the us, to, the them is, who are just really have to pay attention, have to work hard, if you want to even do that at all. Because there are some folks that it's just, they're just never going to be us, so we let them be them. And, and, and that's, that's the way God designed the universe. Apples, oranges, apples, PCs. I mean, we, uh, us, them. Right? I mean, we, 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 does anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, and whether you're, you're an us or a them, you will eventually create a category of us so that you know who you are. And, and whether, whether the bifurcation is about color, as it was in The Help, or socioeconomic stratus, as it also was in the movie, The Help, right? We do that. Or, 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 or where you live, or, or your age, ageism, racism, genderism. All of those ways of dividing communities, I, as I've, as I've um, you know, been in, in higher education for the last little while, I've discovered it's e there's even a way of slicing and dicing uh, uh, upper, uh, uh, higher degrees in education. You know, oh, you have, you have an EDD, PhD. Oh, you have a PhD? Uh, from where did you get your PhD? Oh, USC. Princeton? Harvard, UCLA. I mean, we we we, we do it in we do it in if you play an instrument, we we right, we engineers, right. I, I discovered for a while I was I, I was teaching at Latin American Bible Institute. I'm from Canada. Uh, I just need you to, to know. So I have, I have, they have one, this will make sense in a minute. Don't, I'm just announcing that so that you can't blame me for the last election. I'm just, <laughs> I'll get back to that. Um, but anyway, so, so when I left Edmonton, Alberta, it's, it's like minus 18 there this morning with seven inches of snow on the ground. This is why I'm here. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway, um, so, so we had one Mexican restaurant in, 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 in Edmonton at the time. This is about 35 years ago. And, 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 and it, Primo's. Where does that name come from? But why do I remember it 35 years later? I'll tell you why I remember it. Because some friends of ours, thinking we were moving to Southern California, the, the, the place where they have Mexican food, thought we should have some experience of Mexican food, so when we got there, we would be acclimated. So we went to this place, one and, and, and then I understood why there was only one Mexican restaurant in the city. It was horrible. 
So much so that when Jude and I moved down here, we decided we would never go to a Me because clearly we were not ever going to acclimate to Mexican food, given this primo example. <laughs> right? Yeah, fortunately, we had some good friends who grabbed me by the ear and took me to a place that this is. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because I, 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 but when I went to Latin American Bible Institute, I discovered there's not just I, Mexican. Don't please don't miss that. They're all the same. They're all the same. And then I discovered because I've got people from Argentina, I've got people from Guatemala, from Nicaragua, from Dominican. They're not all the same, and they know who's superior. And the food is different. Hot, isn't it fun when they're just the them, and I don't have to deal with them as individuals? I can just put them in the category of a mass of people who are not us. Now, here's where it gets really toxic, where we spiritualize our prejudice. And we use God's name as a means of separation of us from other people. When I, when I grew up, I, I had a very clearly delineated system of eschatology, end times theories. When Jesus was coming back, for those of you who have grown up in the church, when the rapture was going to occur, we had charts. We had charts that just stretched. Anybody else remember charts? No, that was in another century in another country far, far away. Anyway, so we were there. And, and, and then I discovered there are people who don't... I went to Fuller Seminary, and I discovered there are people who passionately love Jesus who are just dead wrong on some things. How did I know they were dead wrong? Because they didn't agree with me in my charts. I had charts that clearly de indicated how things ought to occur... And these people were not only not interested in my charts, they thought the premise upon which the charts were built was faulty to begin with. How can you argue with somebody who doesn't agree on first principles? All of a sudden, the them, because, I mean, somebody's salvation might depend on this, right? Uh, no. You can believe, I've, I've discovered that you can believe all kinds of things about how Jesus is going to come back and you'll be fine. And you can be right and you won't be. How, how can this be? So we, we spiritualize our prejudice. We say God is on the side of us. And then we use that as a barrier. So here's how Paul, and, and remember... First century, no different. We've been doing this since Genesis 3. We've been in junior high for 10,000 years. We do it in all kinds of ways. Which side of, fifth, uh, of, of 7th Street do you live on? Right? Belmont? Naples? I mean, we all have our ocean. Ooh. Don't we do that? Just... And, and you take your, your world and you quickly divide it into the us and thems. So how do we, taking the language that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, how do we think it's possible to get people who have willingly divided themselves into categories of us and them 
onto not just the same page, but with the same passionate pursuit of the things that God in Christ is pursuing. How does that happen? Because there is no more divide stronger than the divide that existed in the first century between Jews. You want to talk about a spiritualized separation and Gentiles, everybody else. How do you, how do, you do this? And this is the passage that we'll look at, and it's helpful for us. So, let's, uh, Genesis, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 11. Uh, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier. He has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose? To create in himself one new humanity out of the two and make peace in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So, in him, the whole building is joined together. In him, the whole building rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, You too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is is a a wonderful text, and I want to take a few minutes, so we're going to go right back to the beginning and just walk through this. Remember again, we have this bifurcation of the world, the us's and the them's. The us are the chosen people of God, chosen by God, uh, and given uh, our identity called out of Egypt, all, all the language, given the, the, the commandments that makes us special and, and everybody else. One of the things, however, that is problematic is that when uh, we're the us, what is supposed to happen? Why was Israel blessed in the first place? Do you remember? They were blessed in order to bless. They were, they were set apart by God so that through them, God's love, God's heart, God's way could be made known to the world. That's why they were called in the first place. They were not called to be uh, containers of blessing. They were called to be conduits of blessing. They were called to be channels 
of God's blessing. They were called to use the way of the Lord, the Torah, as a way of framing negotiated life with other people. That's what they were supposed to be doing. But like so many of us, when we find a point of distinction that we embrace and love, we use it as a point also of exclusion. We use it not just to rule in, but to rule out. And that's what has happened. This, the, the Gentiles are the out, we are the in. And that leads to, instead of, instead of our enjoying the gift God has given us in Torah, the gift God has given us in, 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 in the blessing from the heavens, we have used it to, to, to hunker down, we have, we have kept the salt in the salt shaker. We have kept that, 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 that uh, bushel basket over the light and we're just rejoicing at how much salt and how much light we actually have in here. It's really cozy. I know it's dark out there, but in here, in here, under our basket, where nobody can get in, it's nights and light. Boy, aren't we glad we have the light. And aren't you glad that ended? 2,000 years ago, or did it? That's why Paul is writing to this church, because the same principles that occur in Israel can occur in the church. So he says, once you, because the church at Ephesus is primarily a Gentile congregation, were separate, you were excluded, you were foreigners, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. So the very means of God's method to bring you to in, inside was now used to keep you outside. How does God address this? How can he create a, a, an opportunity to lift the basket so the light that is inside can shine and illuminate the darkness wherever it is? How does he do that? And this is where Paul goes on. In Christ, you who once were far away, have been brought near by His blood. He Himself is our peace. He is our wholeness. He is our structure of reconciliation. How did He do it? He made the two groups one. And He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Here's what happens. If I have the law, I get to determine who's keeping it and who's not. If I establish the boundary, if I establish the border, I get to decide who's in and who's out. And like the Jews, often part of Christianity, sad to say, has become about establishing the borders and defending them against all comers. Determining by means of our possession of the power that is in the law, whatever that might be, who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong. The law was never intended to do that. It was not intended to exclude. It was intended to illuminate. You remember when we did the series on the Ten Commandments that the word commandment doesn't even appear in the text either of Exodus or Deuteronomy. They are not Ten Commandments. They are Ten Words and were received by the community of Israel as God's gift of life to them. And what were supposed to happen? They were supposed to live lives of such exemplary 
drawing in that people were compelled by their adherence to the law to come and be part of that community. But instead, drop the drawbridge, dig the moat, fill it with crocodile. We want clearly to know who's in and who's out. This is why, by the way, the Pharisees had such a hard time with Jesus. He did not play fair. Have you noticed? All of the, all of the, the primary issues they dealt with Jesus on, and he took it to them, Sabbath, right? Dietary laws, cleanliness laws, primarily were the things that he dealt with. Whose purview was those laws? It was the Pharisees. They were the ones who determined who kept those laws and who did not. That gave them enormous power. And Jesus just says, let's play. And he, he beat them at their own game. And I'm quite sure that he did so not to establish a church that is the new Pharisee. That knows who's in and who's out. And is happy to tell everybody who's in and who's out. Who's the them and who's the us who let them in? Do, do you see? Because Christ broke that wall down, setting aside in his setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. Then he goes on. His purpose, why he did this, was to create one new humanity out of these two disparate groups, the ins and the outs to join them together in one new humanity. This is an echo of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You'll notice, right? What was the function of humanity in Genesis chapter 1? To be the agency of God's redemptive presence called the image of God. Same dynamic. To create a new humanity, making peace in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Oh, wait, what? I don't mind him going to the thems and bringing them into the us's. But you notice what the text saying? He didn't just go to the them and say to them, everything's new. He came to the us's and said to us, everything's new. The old ways, the ways that you are familiar with, the ways of self-definition, the ways that you bifurcate, the ways that... No, no, no. Everything's back to zero. New paradigm in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why gender roles are not the same. Racial roles are not the same. Uh, it, it, Paul says, in Christ there is no slave or free. Are you kidding me? The entire first century economy was built on that distinction. And Paul, you're saying, no slave or free? Are you kidding? How in the world can we function this way? A new humanity. A new model for what God intended in the first place. No Jew, Gentile? Wait a minute. How do we tell who's in and who's out? None of your damn business. This is God's job. He knows how to do it. Mind your own business. Paul, Paul, clearly you are smoking something. No, 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 no. He's just fallen in love with the Savior who said, you belong, not because you're part of us, but because my love is set on you like it's set on somebody else. Right? In Christ there is no male or female. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about roles? What about hierarchy? We'll figure that out. 
But the other ways that you have done stuff, not working. You persistently take advantage of whoever you perceive to be the weakest. And you train them in the misuse of power. If you see yourself as the dominant, you use your power to dominate. If you see yourself as the weakest, you use your power to manipulate. You're built for power. Can you please use it not to position yourself, but to serve and lift others? This is, this is what he's doing. Right? Can anybody know why Paul didn't make many friends? Because he's pushing hard against the boundaries of the us's. Why? Well, and you get the image. He's taking these two disparate parts, joining them together, and now we have one new body, a new humanity that echoes the reality of the Trinity. He came and preached peace to you who were near, and those of you who are far away. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So, what's the outcome? You are no longer foreigners and strangers. Instead, you are fellow citizens with God's people. You are members of his household. And then he does this beautiful thing. He says, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Do you see what he's saying? We're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There was a lot of good stuff in that Torah. There was a lot of good stuff in that prophetic vision of a new kingdom, a new people of God that, 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 was, that Jesus himself defined his life according to the prophecy of Isaiah. He memorized the Psalms. He knew who he was because he knew what the old covenant was. We're not going to throw that out. We're going to bring that in and build on that foundation of the prophets. But we're also going to embrace the brand new uh, revelation of apostolic ministry that God is raising up by the power of the Spirit. We're going to embrace both prophets and apostles. We're going to build you up on both. Take advantage of both. Isn't it amazing when we will stop slicing ourselves off from the very um, resources we need that, that they have. And we begin to embrace not just their otherness, but the joining together. In the image, of course, he's going to develop when he gets to Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage. Most of marriage, most of church life, most of relationships is starting to value, appreciate, and celebrate the otherness rather than to conform it to your standard. How's everybody doing? All right. This will be over in a minute and you can go home. But because he goes on. Consequently, no longer foreign or strangers, fellow citizens, etc., etc., with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In the imagery here, you know it. Uh, in, 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 a, in a culture where we have, you know, laser levels and, 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 and surveyors that I've been watching the Hyundai building being constructed. Uh, it's just fascinating to me. I love cranes. I love that big equipment, oh, you know, the mechano thing. I feel like Tim Allen, just oh, power, you know. Anyway, so we have, 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 have that going. And, 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 and that's a beautiful building. I, I'm starting to imagine what that's going to look like. I don't know what in the middle. It's just going to be gorgeous. What happens if somebody at the bottom, foundational stuff, gets, gets off a half a degree or so? Did you know I, I work wood, more or less? Um, and build things, and and if if you if you're a thirty second of an inch off on a saw cut, 
on an eight-foot plywood board, by the time you get to the other end, you, you'll, you can notice. 30-second, not so much. That's about the width of a card, playing card. But if you get off just that much of an angle, by the time you get to the other end, you're, you, you, you're going to trip over that. Do, do, do you see? The, door won't, the drawer won't fit. Do, do, with me? How in the world, in the first century, did they build buildings that stand 2,000 years later this way? They have a cornerstone that is precisely aligned, and then they align the rest of the building blocks on that cornerstone so that the entire building is oriented around the cornerstone and thus fits perfectly with each other. Hello. You see what he's doing? You're, you think your tension is with each other. No, no, you're both out of alignment with Jesus. If you both get in alignment with Jesus, you'll figure it out. Do you see? This is why when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, I said one of the preconditions for your marriage in Christ is that you both love Jesus more than you love each other. That's this. Because if you're right, if you're in alignment with Him, you'll work it out. Then he goes on and finishes up, In Him the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. A couple of things I want to just draw to your attention as we draw to conclusion. The first thing is this. We do not have any longer the luxury of exclusion. We don't have the luxury of us's and them's of hanging out only with those that we feel like hanging out with or that are kind of people. You have no kind of people anymore except the people who are in alignment with the chief cornerstone. That's rich and poor, slave and free, Jew, Gentile, male, female. Just all of those previous ways of understanding are now irrelevant in Christ. I don't get the luxury of name-tagging people and giving them little color-coded dots so I know whether they can be friends with me or not. I know nobody ever does that. We don't have, as well, the luxury of comparison with other people. We don't have the luxury of judgment of other people. There's no room for gossip or slander. I have to learn to embrace the differences that the other brings and find ways to accommodate myself to what they bring to the table. As well, I need to realize that everybody has a place and is a part of the building. Everybody is needed. Most of the people who are needed are not going to be seen, are not going to be visible. It's important for us to remember whether you think of yourself as an us or a them, those labels now being gone, is that we both have to do the work of accommodation. It's silly for us as a church community to, to, to say, if you're going to join us, you have to become like us. That's not what we want. I love what Billy said this morning. When you come, you bring your own stuff. We've got to figure out how to embrace that stuff as part of who we are. On the other hand, let's be very clear, as I come into a new place, I ought not to expect the new place to make all of the adjustments so that I fit. This is a mutual adjustment society that is being worked here. 
And, and the, this is why we have to have alignment, not on each other, but on the cross, on Christ. Because it's as I'm aligned with Him that I can learn to get along with you. Some of you harder than others, but we'll do that. That was a joke. I'm making sure you're still with me. Because this hard work that he's talking about, how many of you know this is really hard work? It's hugely hard work. And there's no other work like it in the world. What is God building out of us? A new humanity. How else is he going to save the world? if we who are His people don't get His act together. Lord Jesus, I thank You for um, the time we've been able to look at this text this morning. Lord, I, I don't, I, we can't let this just be a, a, a discussion of theological systems. Clearly, Paul is going to build on this, but clearly we already know what it means for us I pray, O oh God, that you would help us to grow up and out of our usness and themness. I pray, O oh Lord, for the courage to embrace people who are not the same as us, who don't think the same as we do, and who never will on key issues of importance to us. O oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn how not just to live together, but to love together so that the world to whom we are sent and for whom we exist will recognize that a new humanity is possible that it is possible for multiple ethnic groups for multiple ages multiple generations to be family with the celebration not only of sameness but of difference. Teach us in this, O Lord, I pray. Amen. As Pete uh, leads us, you're invited to take somebody with you and go to the tables, front or back, for communion. It would be really good. I loved how Pete led us into this in the first service. If you would take somebody and just have communion together, two or three folks, and, and especially if, if you're strangers to those who you show up with, all right? Let's spend a few minutes in response to the word.